Welcome to Questions That Matter, a podcast of the C.S. Lewis Institute. I'm your host, Randy Newman, and I'm delighted. Today, my conversation partner is Max McLean, the founder and artistic director for Fellowship for Performing Arts. He's also the uh, star of the brand new movie, The Most Reluctant Convert. Max, welcome to Questions That Matter. Uh, Thank you, Randy. It's great to be with you. Well, Max, just for some of our listeners who may not be familiar with the Fellowship for Performing Arts, can you give us a little intro as to this this great endeavor that you've been involved with for a while? Sure, sure. Uh, uh, I'm the founder and the artistic director of Fellowship for Performing Arts. We're a New York City-based production company that produces theater and film from a Christian worldview that... uh, can, uh, the intent at least is to engage a diverse audience. And the way we use diverse, uh, the word has been co-opted to mean uh, almost singularly uh, gender and racial diversity, where uh, the way we uh, use that word is is more worldview diversity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, what we do is we uh, select material uh, for production that we think have have uh, that articulates articulates the Christian worldview in a way that's uh, that's uh, uh, real, uh, imaginative, multi-layered, doesn't shy away from the tough questions uh, that can engage the imagination, and uh, we try to. Uh, execute the work at the highest levels that our budgets will allow so we can play the great uh, performing arts venues around the country. And we've we've extended that to film. And uh, then we ask people to help us do it. We're a nonprofit ministry. And that's why we're called a, the, we're called a fellowship for performing arts. It's a fellowship of people that believe art and theater from a Christian worldview can engage the imagination and uh, influence culture. Mm. I love it. I love it. And I've had the great joy of um, um, experiencing several of your productions, uh, the live ones. I'm looking forward to seeing the film. Um, what, I, I don't know if this is too theoretical, but I, I'd like to go in this direction for a little bit. What What is it about the performing arts? What is it about drama that that has such an impact on us. Why, why is it such a powerful medium? And, and maybe that's, maybe that's too difficult a question to answer. We just know that it does impact us, but is, yeah. is there some insights that you have for us? Yeah. Well, I'm more of a practitioner than uh, a philosopher of it, but there's a couple of things that come to mind. Uh, you know, we're made in the image of God and, and uh, God appears to be a storyteller. Mm. Uh, mm. You know, and, and uh, so we, we, we are built into uh, to respond to story, uh, so I think that's that's kind of part of our DNA at a very archetypal archetypal level. Uh, uh, the other thing uh, that that may help in this is that uh, something that C.S. Lewis said uh, that the the imagination is the organ of meaning, hmm. and reason is the organ of truth. And so by saying that. You know, both are incredibly important, yes. uh, meaning and truth. But I think if you take it a step further, at least my interpretation of what that means is that uh, the imagination uh, stirs up the raw material of what we think about. Mm. 
You know, that's the raw material. And then from that, we exercise uh, levels of discernment to determine what we're going to invest in. You know, mm. so mm. so that if if uh, if an idea doesn't engage to the point that it stirs the imagination, you know, then it's very unlikely that you're going to use the rational tools that we have, you know, kind of front brain, back brain thing, uh, the rational tools that we have to to take it to the next level, you know, to to evaluate, to reassess. And, and that's, of course, uh, the the idea of, uh, of many stories is, you know, many stories have a point of view. Uh, you know, some people are a bit harsh and they call it an agenda. Uh, but regardless of, of that, uh, it's a point of view. And, and so that point of view is intersects with your point of view, whatever that point of view is. And if it really engages, then it has the opportunity to perhaps alter your point of view. So I think mm -hmm. that's really, uh, that's one of the reasons uh, the great historian Paul Johnson in his book, Intellectuals, said uh, he was writing a chapter, I think, on Heinrich Ibsen. And he said, those who, have, uh, who want to influence men's minds have always known that theater is the most powerful medium to make the attempt. Huh. And, huh. Uh, and then the great uh, American, uh, the dean of the American theater, Harold Clerman, wrote, uh, uh, make them laugh. And while their mouths are open, pour truth in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? You know, mm -hmm. you're just relaxed. You're watching. Your critical, you know, your, 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 your sort of critical uh, faculties are sort of, you know, they're not on guard, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, that's one of the ways that American culture has been shaped by film, shaped by media, shaped by theater, shaped by novels, shaped by story. Right, right, um, and and you know I think um, this this idea about meaning and truth uh, a lot of times or or the imagination and reason and logic mm -hmm. um, very often we've we've kind of pitted them against each other that it has to we have to choose one or the other one is more important than the other or uh, one can be um, I don't know ignored or dismissed. But but no, we're we're creatures of meaning and truth, and we mm -hmm. do have intellects that God has given us. Um, but we are story creatures, and I, I love the way you put it that God Himself is a storyteller. Mm -hmm. um, and so, what what you're trying to do is is capture how those things fit together in in a in a really powerful way. Right, and and you know, uh, you know, you're you're representing the C.S. Lewis Institute, and I represent Fellowship for Performing Arts, and and in both cases, we are uh, uh, you know acolytes of of C.S. Lewis, who mm -hmm. I think is perhaps uh, one of the greatest examples of the uh, of the merger of the uh, of the integration of imagination and reason. Mm hmm. Right. Yeah. I. Um, I don't know if he if he was ever asked this question. I just wonder how he would respond about you know you know choosing between the two. I think he would think that's absurd. And uh, yeah, I do too. I uh, do too. You you read his writing and it's rigorous intellectual wrestling because he was shaped that way. But then he also he can't resist just throwing in these imaginative illustrations and analogies that um, 
that grab a hold of you in, in, in two ways at once, or at least two ways. Um, yeah, and I would argue that uh, that the imagination triggered the rationality, and other times the rationality triggered the imagination. Mm, so you mm. know, they were uh, they were uh, uh, they were supportive in that in that way. Right. You know, he didn't right. get locked in, and and that's one of the reasons we do like his writings. Uh, yeah. They are so imaginative uh, mm-hmm. in that regard, and yet so, as you say, so rigorous. Yes. I, I, um, I don't think I have this experience with any other writer. I find myself reading Lewis and understanding something deeply and laughing out loud at the same time. Yeah. I just love it. I just love it. Well, you it. know, he, he spoke, uh, I, uh, uh, I believe this is in our, our film. I know it's in our play. I, I, so I know my play better than I know the film, and I, we can talk about that. But uh, because the, the, the film is a byproduct of the play. But uh, in, in the play, uh, Lewis, speaking of his first encounter with G.K. Chesterton, uh, wrote, I liked him for his goodness. Not that it had anything to do with being good myself. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, and he said, uh, uh, and I'm trying to, oh, I'm trying to get the actual, uh, thought, uh, you know, he, he liked his writing, uh, not jokes, not flippancy mm-hmm. that he says mm-hmm. I cannot endure, but his, uh, uh, he uh, his humor, his humor was the, I love this. His humor was the bloom of his argument. You know, it was like the excess uh, that just the aroma that emerged as a result of his uh, his uh, steady uh, argumentation, mm. and and, uh, and and that's kind of the best kind con- to me. Uh, they're not jokes; they're the like he said, the bloom of his argument. Mm. And so, when you describe what you just said, that's what came to mind. Oh, I love it. I love it. And and there it is again, you know, that he, he didn't he he didn't say um that it was the culmination of his argument or the logical conclusion of his argument, but the bloom of the argument. I, I there it is. Yeah, there there yeah. and, and he, he couldn't stop himself from doing that. That's that's just the way he was and his mind went. Um, well, let's talk about this film and this play. Uh, it was originally a play, a one-man play, The Most Reluctant Convert, and you delivered it and, and uh, presented it, I, I'm guessing, hundreds of times or dozens of times. I, I think I'm trying, to, I'm trying to recall what the count was. It's, it's well over 200. I think it's under 300, but well over 200. Hmm. And we did it for three years until the pandemic. Uh, but it was really had a, a solid following and... We, we would play, uh, we had a long run in New York. We had multiple times in D.C. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we, we, it's a very popular production on college campuses. Uh, and uh, then, of course, I'll stop with the pandemic, which was, which was the incentive for us to, you know, when we couldn't do our work, uh, what were we going to do? And, and, it, uh, and the Lord, in his providence, uh, led us to, uh, to make this movie. Yeah. Where, what, um, have, had you been reluctant to do movies and films in the past? Was it, yeah. no, we're only, we only do live performances on stage? Well, the, there are two different art forms requiring 
two different sets of tools and mm -hmm. uh, two different skill sets. Mm -hmm. And so I knew the limitations of my skill sets, though I've always wanted, I mean, it, the, the, the acting part is a, is a relatively seamless uh, move from theater to film. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the big distinction between the two is, is uh, theater, the imprint is, is the voice. Uh, and the, uh, there's a, a, a huge emphasis on the language, the words, uh, in film, the imprint is the image and there's less of a reliance or even, uh, uh, consideration for language itself. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a different kind of language. It's a visual language. Yes. Uh, the uh, and also in theater, it is it is exclusively an actor's medium. Uh, you know, he's on stage uh, in front of that audience, and it's him and him alone right. with the other actors. Um, you know, of course, there's lighting and sound and all that, and that helps. But that's it. Whereas in in film, it's totally a director's medium. You know, actors mm. in some ways are really potted plants that get moved around, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, uh, and of course. Uh, you know, we have to say the words and be in the right place under the right lighting. Uh, so I was grateful that I had the experience of doing this play prior to doing the film because I had all this emotional memory stored mm -hmm. uh, in each of the moments that I could uh, quite easily recall uh, at the moment required uh, in the filming. And, mm -hmm. and it's and, and that's really key because in, in theater you get you get a uh, you get a continuity from beginning to end that you can build towards. Yes. So, uh, you know, that if the culminating moment is, you know, at the end of the play, you have all this time to build to it and then you navigate your energy and your emotional choices to make sure that that moment is delivered. Mm -hmm. And the, and, and whereas in film, it, it, there, there's still a culmination, but you, you know, the way it's, it's, uh, it's often made, certainly most reluctant convert was made, you know, you divide the script into a hundred different pieces and uh, jumble it all up. And then, okay, today we're going to do this piece, which uh, mm -hmm. uh, which was maybe in the middle of the play. And then we go back to the front of the play. And then we'll do the end of the play or the end of the film. And so you have to, so, you know, the the actor has to know, well, where am I? And what am I supposed to do? And, and how did I get here? And, you know, mm -hmm. what's my intention? So those, uh, thankfully, I, I didn't have trouble with, but I could see a lot of other actors would have. Are you a fisher of men? Uh, do you want to be a fisher of men? Do you, do you struggle with this call that Jesus places on us to be fishers of men? Uh, discipling others is also a significant part of that whole enterprise and it's a way to abide in Christ. It's a way for us to know Christ more fully, become more like him and participate in his work of building his kingdom. So as we disciple, we become co-workers with Jesus. As he helps us mature, he allows us to help him mature others and nurture them towards reproduction and expanding of his kingdom. And so we have many free small group resources on our website, uh, many different things to help you in this discipleship process, both 
to grow as a disciple and to disciple others. So please check out cslewisinstitute.org slash products. I find this so intriguing. Um, you use the word tools, and I've heard other um, other artists talk about that, that different medium, different art forms have different tools. Mm-hmm. And there are tools in film that are different than tools in drama, certainly different than in, in the painting and music. And they, they work on us in different ways. Um, and, and, you know, once you, once you grasp that, you start watching movies and films differently. You, you look mm-hmm. at, oh, why did, why did we jump from that scene to that scene? But there was 10 seconds of looking at the trees first. Mm-hmm. What did the director and the film maker, the screenplay writer want to have happen in you as the audience in those 10 seconds? Yeah. Um, Whereas, I, I, I mean, I love the way you just said it. Uh, on stage, it's much more of the actor's medium as opposed to the director's medium. Um, what, um, maybe this is, I, um, what are some of your biggest hopes for this film? It's going to be coming out in just a few days. My guess is by the time people are listening to this, they will have already seen it or it has been uh, in the theater. But what what are some of your hopes as as the opportunity came about to make the movie and then as you were making it, I'm sure that there was this sense of, of what, what is it you're hoping the Lord does with this film? Yeah. Well, um, one of the things that I found in my experience with C.S. Lewis, which began, uh, in my twenties as an adult convert, and then, uh, uh, much more recently in the past 20 years living with Lewis in terms of adapting, uh, many of his works from the, page to the stage uh one of the things you realize is you you just never get to the bottom of him you know mm-hmm. it's it's an it's a it's a very very deep profound well and uh one of the things i discovered was that uh you know here's a man that read everything from the greeks to the moderns he had a steel trap mind mm. that could recall almost instantly anything he and everything he wrote he yeah. read and then he had this extraordinary de- uh, ability to articulate it into magnificent prose and speech. I mean, I, 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 I would have to argue that uh, uh, that he is not just one of the greatest writers of the 20th century. I think he's one of the greatest writers in, in Western civilization. Hmm. Uh, hmm. You know, in terms of the constellation of ideas he comes, he comes up with. And it all comes... Uh, from a Christian worldview, you know that the that he recognized the reality of the Christian revelation. Yeah. That uh, you know either the crude beginnings of life on this planet were dropped by a fuller, more perfect life, or it all begins with the idiocy of the universe. <laughs> uh, you know, and I also like the fact too that uh, in reading him, you know. He, he always answers the question, or he seems to answer the question, compared to what? Mm. Hmm. You know, uh, and, and I, I've, I've come to find that that's a very important question. When somebody makes an, a declaration, you know, like there is no God, uh, 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 or, uh, you know, that uh, what's wrong with the Christian religion, and most of the time it's because they're concerned, you know, they, they, they never talk. Of, I rarely hear people uh speak about the Christian religion or the Christian revelation uh, 
uh, in true or false terms. I, you know, I always hear it in terms of the Inquisition or the income of bishops or the scandal in this place. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's basically saying, you know, Christians behaving badly. And so therefore uh, you give it up, but not mm-hmm. in terms of the actual truth uh truth claims of the of the Christian gospel. And, and of course, Lewis himself said that my argument against God was that the universe was so cruel and unjust, right? And then he says, well, where did I get this notion of cruel and unjust? Yes. yes. You know, I, crawl, I call a line crooked because I have some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing the universe with when I called it cruel and, and unjust? You know, he goes on to say that... Uh, that Christianity does not solve the problem of pain. It creates it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because right. pain would be no problem if, uh, you know, if, if the world was arbitrary and, and, it, and, not, and what was behind it was not loving and not just. It would just be the natural outcome of a capricious universe. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. And, uh, and Lewis says it's a problem because we have assurances that, that ultimate reality is loving and just. So then we have a problem. Yes. But without that, you don't have a problem. Yes. You know, and he says, uh, uh, if the world, uh, uh, if the world has no meaning, if the universe has no meaning, we would never know it has no meaning <laughs> That's right. because meaning wouldn't exist. Yes. So, you know, this is, these are, these are fundamental ideas that people just go through their life just not thinking about mm. and making making sort of uh, eternal decisions based on very faulty faulty evidence. I, I read somewhere, I read something somewhere, and I think our and, and I think our film addresses. You asked me what I, what I hope. I hope my film, the film addresses these issues. I read something recently that that I I, I I've been noodling in my head that. Um, that our culture has exchanged freedom, the uh, the the uh, per- perceived ability to do whatever we want whenever we want, uh, in exchange for purpose and meaning. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, yes. and I, I think there's a lot of truth in that mm-hmm. because uh, complete freedom, you know, makes you your own god. Uh, <laughs> so. Anyway, I can go on about uh, a lot about that. No, I, uh, I do love it. I, I I'm, I'm pretty sure it was in um, an introduction to a collection of Lewis's uh, essays where Walter Hooper said that he thought Lewis was the most thoroughly converted man he ever met, mm-hmm. and that Lewis's brilliant mind that was so thorough in thinking. When he became a Christian, he then thought deeply, thoroughly about everything. Mm -hmm. And so that whatever topic it was, he had thought deeply and Christianly about it. And I think that that's uh, a a great challenge for us, both believers and non-believers. I mean, um, uh, I I hope that your film is will be seen by both Christians and non-Christians and the Christians will be challenged to become the most thoroughly converted person they could possibly be. Mm-hmm. And that non-believers will say, oh, I need to be as rigorous in examining my doubts or my unbelief or my questions as this person was. So um, uh, that, that's always the dual challenge I want to point people to uh, with C.S. Lewis, to be as yeah, rigorous yeah. as they can be 
and to and to and to to to, to doubt their doubts <laughs> as he did. Yeah. Well, he he uh, in terms of of hopes, uh, 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 Lewis wanted uh, Christianity to be uh, positioned not because it's comforting. Uh, he he thought that was not helpful. What it's just simply whether or not it is true. If it is untrue, he says, no honest person would would ever want to believe it. If it is true, he he that every honest person would want to believe it. And it all hinges on the person of Jesus. Is he who he says he is? If if his claims are false, Christianity is of no importance. If true, it is of infinite importance. The one mm-hmm. thing it cannot be is moderately important. <laughs> so you so you really have to investigate the claims of, of Jesus. And 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 you know, even beyond that, Lewis's assumption in almost all his writings is simply this we come from another world. Mm. There is another world, and yes. that is where we come from. And 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 his simplest articulation of Christianity is is that God came from someplace else and entered into our created universe, and then came out again, pulling us up with him. That's mm. the Christian story. Mm-hmm. The alternative is that this man is a raving lunatic on a man who uh, similar to a man who who comes to you, looks you in the face, and says. I am a poached egg, <laughs> right? Or yes. he's a liar. Uh, he's a liar like the devil from hell. And and then he asks the question: Unless you believe that either one of those, he's a poached egg or liar, devil from hell, you turn to the Christian story. Hmm. And the Christian story is that this man is who he says he is. And let's not have any. Uh, of this nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He did not leave that option open to us, nor did he intend to. Yes. So that's uh, uh, all of that comes out uh, very clearly uh, in, in the film from a very rigorous imaginative perspective. Mm, I love it. I love it. Were there things that, uh, that you realized, um, maybe not for the first time, but realized afresh or in a more powerful way in the pro- about C.S. Lewis in the process of making the film. I mean, you've been, you've been immersed yeah. in him and his story of his conversion for quite a long time. Were there, yeah. were there things in the filming that came to the surface for you? Well, uh, I talked to you about uh, you'd never get to the bottom of him. And, and I would even uh, say what comes to mind immediately is the comment you just made not too long ago about him, what Walter Hooper said about the thoroughness of his conversion. Hmm. You know, his faith was so strong. And I think one of the big things that plagues the Christian church in America and even around the world is, is I think we believe, help thou up my unbelief, uh, our faith is weakened. Hmm. And it's weakened by many, many reasons. You know, certainly the assault of secularism has weakened it. But uh, one of the things that 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 uh, uh, informed Lewis, you know, he did he knew that rational arguments did not uh, create belief. You know, uh, he knew that uh, 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 something could be proved and not embraced. But he also re- recognized that. What no one defends is soon abandoned. 
Ah, yes. And uh, and that's what I'm seeing is that we're we're becoming less informed to defend, and because we're less informed, we're we're a little insecure about defending the faith, and and that leads us to this sense of well, I'm not going to defend it. That's what happened in Lewis's. Uh, uh, in Oxford and Cambridge in the 30s and 40s, that's what's happening in America and in, in the in in the U.S. and Canada, uh, colleges and universities here. Uh, it's not that Christianity is nefarious; it's simply irrelevant, and mm. because the case is never made, mm. so yeah. it doesn't graduate beyond uh, a very uh, almost infantile uh, expression, a kind of a straw man Christianity that uh, you know can't hold up to these you know, powerful uh, professor types who are really, really well-schooled in their own individual discipline and know enough about uh, uh, theology to be dangerous uh, and uh, and just weaken so many people's faith. Mm. So Lewis is, you know, he says, uh, uh, good philosophy must exist because bad philosophy has to be answered. Yes, yes. So... Uh, that's what I hope happens comes out of this film. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I I subscribe to a number of different newsletters, and I read about what God is doing around the world, and frequently, repeatedly, I see and hear pleas for the need for discipleship all around the world. That is the crying need of our time. And that is the specific focus that God has placed on the C.S. Lewis Institute. So we're, we're so very grateful to be involved and have been for decades in something that could very well be the greatest need of our world today. So please consider uh, becoming a financial partner with us. It would be at the very core and central uh, centrality of what God is doing in our world today. You know, I, I have to think that part of um, why he was so effective uh, and strong and powerful as an apologist is because he was so resistant to it as a non-believer. I mean, I he was he was a non-believer for for several decades. He was rigorously trained in how to think as an atheist, and so he he had lots of arguments that had to crumble, and and he yeah. describes it as crumbling. He was you know he was the most reluctant convert. That's not just a a flippant cliche. It really was reality for him, and I, I think yeah. that's part of the force. He was so reluctant. You're absolutely right. But so many of his arguments were strictly empirical. Mm. It was, you know, like in, in, the, in the play and in the film, the very first scene is an empirical rationale about why he, un he doesn't believe. You know, uh, look at the universe we live in, mostly empty space, completely dark, unimaginably cold. Who can live here? Mm. <laughs> you know, right. uh, most people, uh, most scientists think it's un uh, it's unlikely that any planet in our solar system can sustain life. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's uh, he, he looks at uh, uh, he looks at the universe and, and how it works. And he says either there's no God behind the universe, a God who's indifferent to good and evil or or worse, an evil God. Uh, and that, uh, you know, that was where his 
data led him if you hold it strictly to an empirical perspective. Mm. Yes, 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 yes. Um, I remember that being the, the 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 force I felt of watching the stage production of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the beginning was this very, very strong argument for unbelief. It was, it was unsettling. It was like, wait a minute, why did I come to the theater yeah. tonight? Maybe yeah, well, I thought this was a Christian play. Yeah, I, this, this could be really dangerous. But, <laughs> but that's part of the power of it because... Because uh, then all of those things then were met and responded to with both uh, depth and beauty. I, I think that's the thing about Lewis's conversion and his apologetics. I, I come away sensing, okay, this this is true and it's good. It's, yeah. it, it makes sense and it's beautiful. It's, it's not just logical, oh, that makes sense. It's, oh, I'm so glad this is true. I, I think that's, uh, that's so true. You know, the idea of something being true and good, if it's true and good, the bloom of truth and goodness is beauty. Mm. Uh, you know, there's, uh, that's what uh, comes with it. And, and the, the idea you were saying about the experience of hearing Lewis's arguments for atheism and how unsettling they were, as Lewis did not create straw men, he created steel men. Mm. You know, he, mm-hmm. he, he would give a steel man argument, uh, like, or give them, this is the opposing team's best shot. Yeah. And it's good. Uh-huh. But it has flaws. And let's, let's look at those. Yes. And, and he, didn't, he didn't just dismiss those arguments flippantly or, or with... Or can you believe how ridiculous that argument is? No, he, he respected the argument because he held them himself for yeah. so long. So I think that there's a lesson in that for us too. Of don't don't just just dismiss this as if this is stupid. Uh, very intelligent people hold some of these beliefs, and and we need to address them respectfully, but but then also um, show the weaknesses and the flaws, like you just said. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a place both in the play and it's one of my favorite parts in the film where he's talked you know his his move from atheism to theism went in stages it took mm-hmm. many years um, the first one was from materialism to what uh, is philosophically called idealism and uh, and uh, the that step uh, it's it's a little bit hard to uh, to articulate, but uh, probably the closest thing would be a, a sort of of deism, where um, mm-hmm. right there is a creator God who is uninvolved. Uh, but uh, but that was a big step for Lewis because, and it's happened when uh, when Barfield asked him, "Do you believe that logic and reason brings forth indisputable truth?" And he said, "I do." Are your moral and aesthetic judgments valid and meaningful? He said, they are. And then Barfield said, then materialism must be abandoned. And then uh, <laughs> that's, he, he must be abandoned. Huh. And uh, there's a long uh, back and forth between them about that, which Lewis concluded that that's true because his materialism is rooted in simply blind mechanics, biochemistry, and physics. There's no will there. There's no personality there. Uh, 
It's just, uh, as he ultimately said, atoms colliding in skulls. So if that's the <laughs> if that's ultimate reality, why should he trust any thought he has? Yes. And he then he came to the conclusion as a result of that that ultimate reality, rock bottom reality, had to be intelligent. And that led him to what we call idealism, which is a God that's out there. Mm -hmm. It'll never come here and make a nuisance of itself. <laughs> you know, it was there. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, that, uh, but that comforted Lewis. That was a first step. Some might say it's like the God of the philosophers. But from there, you know, it moved from logic and reason to morality, you know, the his his guilt why does he have guilt feelings why does he think why is his why are the dictates of his conscience bothering him right you know right. if 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 conscience is only a social construction a social construct if right and wrong is dependent on the leadership of the tribe you know, then that changes with the next election or the next coup, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. right? And yes, uh, yes, and so he said, no, it has to be more foundational than that. And then that caused him to examine his own moral life, and he said what he found appalled him. Yeah, you know, and uh, and that led him to um, to what he ultimately said gave in and admitted that God is God the most uh, that night, perhaps uh, he knelt and prayed, he knelt and prayed to God <laughs> uh, that night, perhaps the most dejected, reluctant convert <laughs> in all England. <laughs> but now that sounds like a Christian conversion to most of us. But it wasn't because no, it was he, just he the first stage. It was well. It was he says it was like the uh, like my training was like that of the Jews. It was you know it would be Moses before the burning bush mm, mm. in that regard. Mm. Uh, you know it would be. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I understand the word Israel means one who struggles with God. Yes. Basically, one who fights with God. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Right. And and so, but but finally, you know, submits uh, and is willing to do what he is told. But he said, "My, I, who, the the I, the God to whom I surrendered was not human. I knew nothing of the incarnation." Mm -hmm. right. right. You know, and and so that took another step, which the film goes into in quite a bit of detail. Well, and, and you know, uh, the, the evangelist in me, or the one who wants to promote evangelism, is uh, I'm thinking, I think sometimes we just maybe need to poke a few little holes for some people and then let, let the, the, the dam break and the flow take over. And it sounds like that, that conversation with Barfield, with Lewis, you know, then materialism needs to be abandoned. And once he did that, it was like, oh, watch out, because here yeah. comes the, the flow. Um, well, yeah, he's, um, an oh, a, 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 a young atheist cannot be too careful of his reading. <laughs> yeah. Yes. 
Right, once the, that force takes over. Well, we could talk for hours, but I'm going to uh, draw this to a close because uh, we try to keep these these podcasts around this amount of time. But but Max, I'm so very grateful for our conversation, and and I'm really grateful for this film that's coming out. And I I really mean it. I'm going to pray that that so many non-believers get to see it, and that God uses it to to. Uh, crumble those uh, strong man uh, uh, arguments they've had against the faith and watch God work to see people delivered out of darkness into light. So may that be. So well, thank um, you, Randy. It's a pleasure to, to be with you. Thanks so very much. And to all of our listeners, again, please, please go see the movie. Tell lots of your friends about it. And uh, please check out our resources on our website, cslewisinstitute.org. Until next time, we pray that uh, these resources and all of our work will help you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and